Well, good morning, Three Circle. Great to be with you guys today. We got all of our campuses joining us right now and online. Achilles heel, that is a phrase that we use a lot in our language, right? Achilles heel. We'll say things like, hey, you've got an Achilles heel, or hey, I'm I'm pretty good to go, but I got this one Achilles heel. Or maybe we'll be talking about our football team and we'll say, hey, we're good, but there's this one Achilles heel that we have. But we may use that language and not actually know where it comes from. When I was in college, I was introduced to the ancient literature, literary work known as the Iliad by one of my favorite professors I ever had. He made the Iliad come alive, Homer's uh, work, like it was uh, um, an epic movie. It was just unbelievable how, how fun it was to read about these things. And from that work, we're introduced to a character called Achilles in Greek mythology. And so Achilles was this guy who was basically everybody thought and he thought was invincible, He was the greatest of all warriors. He just couldn't be beaten. And the legend was that his mother, when he was born, held him by the heel and dipped the baby into this river that made him invincible. This is all mythology. It's just a story. But basically, she put him in there, and he was indeed invincible wherever that water was. But that one spot where she held his heel did not get into the river and therefore left a vulnerability, a very small one, not a big deal. But what we'll say during this series is little things become big things, don't they? And so he lived life with this one little spot where you could get him, and it never happened. And he won battle after battle after battle. But then came that famous battle where they're going to take the city of Troy, famously where the Trojan horse incident took place. And Achilles, like he always did, was in the battle and winning the battle. But then there was this one guy with an arrow that had been looking for a spot, and he takes a shot from behind, and you guessed it. He hits Achilles in that one spot. That one vulnerability that he had, and it took him down. The great Achilles went down, and therefore we have this phrase that we say now, the Achilles heel, that's where it comes from. Now, what we're going to do for four weeks is we leave summer behind and its lack of structure and its craziness and all the stuff that happens during summer and vacations and all that, and now we enter into a more structured time, the fall, if you will, sure feels fallish outside, doesn't it? Anyway, um, so we enter in at a time where we're back in school and rhythms and schedules. If we're not careful, we will ignore our vulnerabilities that are there. We'll act like they're not there. And so for four weeks, we thought, okay, let's anchor into a verse in the Bible that's going to warn us to be prepared for the attack. And and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to 1 Peter in just a moment and anchor into that. And For four weeks, we're going to look at what we think are common, because the Bible keeps bringing them up, common, four of them, Achilles heels that you and I deal with. Now, you and I would have things that are unique to us. Like, you may have an Achilles heel that I just don't have and vice versa. So we didn't want to go there. We wanted to go to the ones that the Bible brings up over and over, and you go, okay, that must be one we all deal with. And so we're going to look at four different vulnerabilities that we all have during the next four weeks. You don't want to miss one of them. And we're hoping this is going to help through the lens of the gospel, not make us better people, but make us more Christ-exalting people. Make us have lives that aren't just more productive, but lives that bring great glory to our King. That's what we want to see happen. So we're going to anchor down into 1 Peter, and then from there we're going to look at these different potential vulnerabilities that, according to the Bible, we all have. All right? 1 Peter 5 says this, be sober-minded and be watchful for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, that's very visceral language from the apostle Peter. Again, this is our anchor point because first of all, he tells us, be sober-minded. In other words, wake up. 
Wake up. Don't just kind of live life. Everything's good, man. Like, like, you need to not live like that. That's what he's saying. He says you need to be watchful. You need to, you need to know what's going on around you. With your kids going to school, with your marriage, with your family, with your home, with, with your life. And here's why. And he introduces language here that, listen, this is not a cartoon. This is not a Disney movie. This is not mythology. Achilles is mythological, that whole idea. But this is real. We have an adversary, according to Peter. We have an enemy. You have an enemy, an enemy that hates you, an enemy that's very powerful. You are not to fear him, but you are to be aware of him. And he names him. He says, it's the devil. And the Bible says that Lucifer, the devil, Beelzebub, whatever you want to name him from the scriptures, he has many names, but we know who he is. He was cast out of heaven with one-third of the angels of heaven. That means, like, you don't know what that number is, that one-third number. I was having a conversation recently with a, with a guy who's like, pro, there's probably more of them than us, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it, there's no telling what we're talking about here, but there's a massive battle spiritually going on that we just can't fully understand. But the Bible tells us enough for us to go, okay, we have an adversary, and, and here's what he does. He's prowling like a lion, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Okay. You need to know that our enemy is looking for an opportunity to attack. And, and what he's looking for is your vulnerabilities. He look, he's looking for the Achilles heel. He's got the bow drawn. He's got the string pulled back. The arrow with the blade on it is, is waiting for its mark. And he's looking for your vulnerabilities. And we have them. And so... My wife and I, one of our favorite authors, modern day great theologian is Paul David Tripp. If you want to write that name now, I would actually recommend everything that he's written. Like, I love everything he writes. And uh, we, our devotional that we do right now in our home, my wife and I together, is uh, one of his devotionals. I think the best parenting book I've ever read came, came from him called Gospel Parenting. Just really moved the needle for us. Okay. We were excited because last year we got to go to a conference where he spoke. Paul David Tripp was one of the speakers. I'd never heard him speak live, and he did not disappoint. But he told a story after reading that verse that we just read from 1 Peter that I'll never forget. Because Peter says, you need to know your enemy acts like a lion. That's what he's like. Okay, so here's the story Paul David Tripp told us. He, because of his connections as an author, he's been all over the world, he got invited to go with this team who were filming a pride of lions while they hunted. So they're, they've got you know, flying drones and all this, and they're gonna watch this pride of lions all the way while they go on the hunt. And so they're with these lions, and they're staying at the distance that they're not bothering them, but they're watching them. They got the drones flying, and he says that they figure out the lions get on the trail, and they're after this, this little herd of antelope, okay? And this goes on, and he says what he was amazed by is that this pride of apex creatures, massive, just muscle and sinew, and, and just these massive creatures were silent like total silence as they move through the jungles and all uh, to, to stay, and they, and, and they never let the antelope know they were there. And this went on for hour after hour, stretched even, I think Paul David Tripp said, into over a day where they're following along. And he said, it's just silent. Like they would lose them with all the equipment they had. They'd lose the lions and have to figure out, oh, there they are, there they are, we got them again. And so that's how stealth these things were. And he said, then they knew, they knew when they were getting ready for the kill that they surrounded these things. And he said the level of sophistication was mind-blowing. And as they're watching this happen, he said total silence. Antelope had no idea. 
He said when they attacked, it was the most violent thing he had ever seen in his life. The explosion of physical violence that took place just like that before the antelope knew what had happened. He said it was just carnage everywhere, but still pretty much silent. He said after they get all that, this is the shot they wanted. They're getting ready to leave and they're heading off and all of a sudden they hear all this noise. And he looks over at the guys, what is that? And he said, oh, that's the lions roaring. They're roaring. And he said, what do you mean they're roaring now? He goes, yeah, lions don't roar until they have their kill. They roar over their kill. That's when they roar. And that hit me that day. And I thought, you know what? Our enemy, our enemy doesn't want to spar. He wants to kill, so he looks for the vulnerability, and before you know it, he's on you. He's on you. He's gotten in. He's coming in through the vulnerabilities, and he won't make a sound until he's making his sound over you, over your family, over your home, over your future. That's when he'll roar. That's when he lets it out. And so today, what we want to do for four weeks is go, okay, let's be aware that we have an enemy who acts like that, and let's just know that he's looking for his spots, and why don't we shut the door on that in our lives? Lives, right? Amen? Okay. So let's dive into these potential vulnerabilities. And next week, we'll come right back to First Peter. We'll remember what our enemy is like. We'll be sober-minded, and we'll look at another vulnerability. But the first one we're going to look at is the Achilles heel of time. Time. We believe, as we looked at Scripture, that, that these things float to the top, and it keeps hammering home, that we need to watch out how we spend our time. Now, we live in a culture where time-wasting is ubiquitous. It's just normal. That's what we do. We waste our time a lot more than ever before. The other day I was looking as everyone, including my own family, put out the pictures of their kids starting school and they're all holding up what grade they're in. And I have a senior in high school now. I'm not old enough for that. Why are y'all laughing? You're supposed to support me in my fantasies. I got a kid starting high school. I'm like, they were like this when we got here to the Eastern Shore. How did that happen? And y'all, we all know time is passing by, but listen, time is your most valuable resource, not even close. Time, you only have so much of it, you don't get any of it back, and it's going by us really, really fast, but we live in a time that wants to steal that from you. We're set up to lose a lot of our time. In fact, a few, few years back, a few decades back, there were articles coming out that the technological future that was ramping up was going to make us more efficient it was going to enable us. The devices we would have would enable us to use our time better than we ever have. And, and really what they've done is enabled us to waste our time better than we ever have. Because do you ever look at your screen time thing at the end of the week and think, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And then you justify it by going, well, now I was reading a book and articles and stuff. Right? I mean, how many of you have ever gone the, down the digital rabbit hole and wasted some time? No, I remember one time I was sitting in the living room, got a little bored, and I thought, you know what? I wonder how tall Macho Man Randy Savage really was. <laughs> I know what he claimed to be, but what was he really? So you, since we have it in our hand that can answer all questions, and then 45 minutes later, I know what all pro wrestlers from the 80s real heights were. <laughs> Turns out Hogan, Hulk Hogan was not 6'9", he was 6'4 half. He wore boots that made him look bigger in that Rocky movie he was in. But I'll tell you what, after I spent those 45 minutes getting that information, that was a game changer for my family and my marriage, man. I needed that information. You know, when I, after knowing Macho Man's real height, 
I could just tell I was stronger. I was ready to do more with my life. That was a total waste of my time. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You can just raise your hand and go, dude, I get it. I get it. Those of you not raising your hands are probably on your phone right now going, well, how tall was he? (laughs) So we live in a time where we are set up this way to waste our time. But the Bible tells us not to do that. So now that we put our anchor point, if you will, that we're going to kind of climb the mountain here, we got our anchor in, let's go and see what we're looking at. Ephesians 5.15, the Apostle Paul writes now, and you're going to find similarities between what he said and what Peter said in in his epistle. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Doesn't that sound like what Peter said when he said, be sober-minded, be watchful? Now, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Same Holy Spirit led both of them to write. How many of you think God's trying to get our attention here? Look carefully how you walk means you need to investigate. You need to evaluate, me included, how we're living our lives. How you walk means how you live. He says, look carefully at it. Don't just let it happen. Evaluate how you're spending your life. And look what he says next. When you're doing that, don't just be unwise, become wise about it. We'll come back to that, why that's important. And here's the center point of what he's saying. Why, what are you looking at when you're trying to be careful? What are you trying to be wise about? Verse 16, making the best use of the time. And he sounds like Peter here again when he says, because the days are evil. Peter says, you need to be watchful. You've got an enemy that acts like a lion. Paul says, you need to be careful and evaluate your life because the days are evil. And you need to make the best use of your time. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, let's let's pull four things out of what Paul just said right there to help us with this, this potential vulnerability, this potential Achilles heel of time. Number one, he says we should be intentional. Stop letting life just happen. Things aren't just gonna work out. Like, let's stop living that way. That's what Paul says. Hey, you need to become careful and look at your life and really evaluate it and be honest about it. And if I'm being honest with you, like, by the way, I I want you to know I'm in the boat with you. I'm not preaching at you. We're, We're discovering what God has to say to us together because in preparing this, this one hit me right between the eyes, y'all, okay? Because I got way too much of this in my life. And so I've been very deeply convicted about it. And one thing I see here is that I need to be more intentional. And I think you need to be more intentional at all of our campuses today about how we use this precious resource of time. We tend to be very cavalier about it. We tend to just let life happen. But Paul says here, you need to be more careful about that, how you're living your life, where your time is going, uh, what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to, and how much time you really are on the devices and on the screens, et cetera, et cetera. Also, he says here, be wise. Be wise when you're evaluating your life. Let me tell you why this is important. Because there is a way to be smart and not be wise. Wise invokes the idea of a spiritual type of wisdom and it's spiritual intelligence that only comes from God. But now, you can be smart and watch this and become a very productive person and win the, the wrong race. Let me tell you what I mean. Because I've been in this, the leadership world for a long time. And I love leadership. I love teaching leadership. I love helping others with leadership. So I've read great books like 
all of Steve Covey's stuff. Any of you in the production world, and you know, man, helps you be more productive. It's brilliant. John Maxwell, uh, good to great Jim Collins, 20 years ago, still like gold, like leadership gold. Patrick Lencioni. These people have impacted my life. I use their stuff in my life. But let me tell you what they do. They help you become smart. They help you become efficient at becoming a more productive person. That is not what this series is about, okay? Because watch this. You can become, you can use their tools. The best one I've read in a few years, by the way, is Atomic Habits by a guy by the name of James Clear. It's brilliant. And that will help you live a better, more efficient, productive life. But if that's all I do, Paul says, you're missing something here. I don't want you to just be smart. Because by the way, in Paul's time, they had productivity gurus as well. They were called the Stoics. The Greeks and the Romans were huge about this. They were saying stuff too. There's nothing new under the sun. There was some guy that looked like Steve Covey way back then with his robe and his thing on his head and he was writing and telling everybody how to better use their day. And here's the, watch this. Without the wisdom of the word of God, you may become extremely efficient at living a totally useless life. Know what I'm, like for instance, you may be able to tighten the screws on your life to the point where you make a whole bunch of money. And you spend the next 20, 30 years becoming financially wealthy. And you got it all. You got the big house. You got everything, man. You got the white countertops and the walk-in pantry that four families could live in. But, you, but, but little Debbies need room to breathe. You got it all. You got your $80,000 Tahoe and your $78,000 truck and your $60,000 boat and your $3,000 dog. That, then you paid another thousand to get it trained. All right, so you could have all of that and get to the end and use productivity smarts to get there and end up at the end and lose a couple of marriages along the way and your kids who are adults now won't hardly talk to you and the family's fractured and no one, you're unhealthy in every way, but you got that. And how much do you think the boat, the cars, and the house and the bank account will matter to you then? Jesus said there are many who will sell their souls for this stuff. What, what profit it is for a man to gain the world and lose his soul. That's what Jesus said. And so Paul does not say just be smart and become more productive. He says be wise. And wisdom requires the supernatural work of God in our lives. It requires you lining your life up, not with what the world says, but what God says. And let me give you one other thing on this. Because wisdom is so important, you need to understand there are things God will require of you and tell you to do that will look like a waste of time to the rest of the world. Because the productivity books aren't going to tell you to spend an hour of your life every day in an ancient book and worshiping and praying to an invisible God. But how many of you as Christians know there is no better use of your time on this planet than to get with the living God and spend time in his word and worshiping him and praying to him? Amen, right? So... We got a different set of values here, and that's what Paul's wanting you to anchor into. Not only that, he says, be proactive. He says, make the best use of your time. That means once you, once you get on track and line your life up with God's values, now let's get going. Let's make decisions now that'll change how we're living our lives. Let's do something about it now. He says, make the best use of your time. And that gets very practical. Not so we can become more productive people. Listen, that's not the point of this series. 
I'm not trying to make you the best version of you because that, that would be a, another waste of our time. I want because, you, if you're a Christian in this room, because you belong to King Jesus, I want you to leverage your time for his glory and the kingdom and the good of those around you and bring great glory to Jesus by how you leverage this one life you have to his glory. So be proactive about it. And then finally, be aware. While you're doing all this, be aware you've got an enemy. The days are evil, Paul says. Peter says, you got an enemy that acts like a lion, looking for a way, looking for his spot to take you out. And this one may be the one that all of us deal with more than any other. How we spend our time, how we set up our lives. Now, as we look at all this, we move over to the book of James, and I'm just trying to show you from our anchor point when we get into time what these different writers in the New Testament had to say about it. And James gets specific. So Paul gives you the general, do like be better with your time to the glory of God. But then we come around and, and we get to James, and James gets to a specific point that we all deal with. It's kind of uncomfortable. He's going to talk about procrastination. I can feel you in the room. You're like, oh, here we go. Procrastination, because we all deal with it. We all deal with procrastination. I deal with it. You deal with it. Listen to how James deals with it. He says, come now, you who say. I like that. He's kind of calling us out. He's like, come now, you who say. Come now, you who have ever had a kid miss out on something because you didn't get the form turned in in time. Come now, you who in college made most of your papers, you, you wrote them the night before they were supposed to be turned in and then used the excuse that you were so smart that you work best under pressure. Come now. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, James is hitting us at the procrastination point, and he uses a word to encapsulate the idea, and the word is tomorrow. Tomorrow, according to James, and I believe him, is one of the most dangerous words in the English language. Tomorrow is a potentially dangerous word. But we'll say things, we use tomorrow as procrastination. Tomorrow, my marriage is a mess, but tomorrow I'll call the counselor. Tomorrow I'll call the doctor about this thing I've been dealing with. I'll deal with that tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll finally start that project that I know I need to do. Tomorrow I'll, I'll begin to get healthy. Tomorrow I'll deal with that thing in my marriage. Tomorrow I'll make things right with my kids. Tomorrow I'll call that family member that I've had a fractured relationship with. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I was listening to a podcast and a guy said something that jumped out at me. He said, you know, what we do when we procrastinate is we think in our minds that tomorrow we will be superheroes. That's what, you're, that's what you're acting like. Because what you say is, I can't do these things today, but tomorrow, tomorrow I'm gonna be able to. We think that tomorrow suddenly the world will be different than it is today. Like today's a busy day, but tomorrow for some reason the world's gonna be a very different place. So I'll do it tomorrow. And it's a mirage. It is an oasis that's not real. You chase it. You chase tomorrow, and you know what happens is every time today rolls around, there's a tomorrow. You keep kicking the can down the road. 
And, and the biggest thing that'll show up tomorrow that's the same as today is not just the world you're in and the environment you're in with all of its complexities and busyness. The thing that's going to show up tomorrow that's the same as today is you. Your habits, your proclivities. That's going to be there tomorrow too. And so we act like tomorrow. Everything's going to be different. And it's not. Which is why the Bible tells us and pushes us and nudges us uncomfortably at times about today. The Bible says even spiritually, today is the day of salvation. And there's people in this room and online. And you've kicked the can of following Jesus down the road so long. Do you understand the game you're playing? James says, don't act like you've got tomorrow. You don't know. In fact, he says, your life is a mist. It's here today, gone tomorrow. That, many of us look at that and we think, oh, he's saying our lives don't matter. That's not what he's saying. He's saying your lives are so precious, but they're so brief, that requires you take it seriously. I'm telling you, my kid who's 18, those 18 years went by like that. Like, it, like where did that go? Where did that go? Where did all the time go? And that's what James is saying. He's saying, guys, listen, 75, 80, 90 years feels like a long time. It's a mist. It's gone. He's not saying that it's insignificant. He's saying it's so precious, don't you dare waste it. And if you're a Christian, you've got every reason to leverage this little slice of time that God has given you to leverage your life for the glory of God and the kingdom. So you can't waste it on just the, the mundane, normal things that people without Jesus do. Like getting rich and being comfortable and living a good Eastern Shore life or Robertsdale life or Thomasville or Mobile or good Southern life. Leave that to the country songwriters, man. You and I've got a higher purpose. And so Paul and James... And Peter says, get serious about this. According to James, procrastination is foolish, it's presumptive, and it's destructive. How much money have all of us in this room probably cost ourselves because of procrastination at times? Some of y'all still got a blockbuster video at your house. You're just hoping they never come for it from 1997. <laughs> when they closed blockbuster down, you were like, Because your VHS version of Armageddon that's been sitting there for 25 years because you just couldn't get around to dropping it off in the drop-off bin. That's for all of us who are 40 and up. Everyone else like, blockbuster? Procrastination. Now, Jesus dealt with it too. And he's gonna deal with this in a way, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna set you up, get you ready for this, get ready for this. Jesus is not about to make you happy. We all think Jesus was like an ice cream truck driver, making everybody happy. He comes along, here comes the music. Everybody's happy, Jesus is in town. Healing everybody, everything's happy. Oh, well, you hadn't read the Gospels. Jesus was always making people uncomfortable. And oh, he's gonna do it today. He's gonna make us uncomfortable. Listen to what happens. So he's dealing with people just like you and I that like to waste time and procrastinate and he's gonna get deadly serious here because now it's spiritual. It's not just, I didn't get that document signed, I didn't get to the doctor, I didn't pay that bill in time. No, now we're talking life, we're talking eternity stuff. So he's with a crowd, he's got his disciples, and he looks at a man, and he says, follow me. Now that's a phrase that he, that he used for his disciples, which means this guy's being given an opportunity of a lifetime. 
follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, everybody hit the pause button. Now, all of us in this room would go, oh, well, that's not a big deal. Of course he should go bury his dad. Go bury your dad. It's not a big deal. I mean, wouldn't we all go bury our dad? In fact, in that culture, of course, you go bury him. So we all think, well, that's understandable. That makes sense. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but it's for you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, where did sweet bobblehead Jesus go? Where'd he go? Little bobblehead Jesus that y'all got in your cars that's doing like this all the time? Where did our version, where did our American version of Jesus go? That doesn't sound like Jesus. That's not sweet, cuddly, make everybody happy Jesus. He is not bringing ice cream. Jesus looks at a man who says, I'll follow you, I just need to go bury my dad. And he says, oh, there's no time for that. He then looks at another person who says to him, this person says, I will follow you, but let me first go say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is grumpy. (laughs) What's going on here? Why is Jesus talking like that? Now listen, the reason it rubs against our sensibilities when we hear our Lord tell a man to not go bury his daddy and tell another person to not go back and tell his loved ones goodbye is because we don't know who he is. We don't understand who he is. Now, any other excuse on any other day would have been just fine for someone to say, I'll go do that important thing, but I gotta bury my dad first, and everyone for all time would go, no problem. Go bury your dad. There's only one caveat. There's only one thing that would be more important than that, and that happens to be if the king and creator of the universe is standing in front of you in the flesh and says, follow me now, then you follow now, and there's nothing, not even burying your dead dad is as important as saying yes to Jesus right now, right now, Go and follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's worth that much. And the reason it bothers us is we're like that crowd. We think Jesus is another thing to add to our already busy list. We put him as a dot in our Google spreadsheet. And we go, I love this and I love that and I love that. And oh, and I love Jesus too. And Jesus says, I'll have none of that. I'm bigger than that. I'm worth more than that. You take your list and put it in a trash can and you make me your life. That's what Jesus demands. Now, the problem is, is too many of us are too comfortable. And we go, hey, I'll add you to my calendar, Jesus. I got a funeral and a wedding, and I got people that are hanging out at my house, and I'll go handle all that, and then maybe Friday afternoon, will that work? We'll meet at Starbucks, and I'll follow you. And Jesus drops a colossal hammer and says, do you not know who I am? Do you know who just said to you to follow me? That'd work with anything else, but not Jesus. Jesus is the list. He doesn't get added to it. Jesus eviscerates the list. All the values change when Jesus walks into the room. See, Jesus will call out our excuses for procrastination. And I'm so deeply convicted by this because let me tell you, I've Google calendared Jesus too. I've I've made the same mistake. You have to. What would it look like for us to stop that and make Jesus preeminent in our lives and value him above all things? Here's here's what King David said after blowing his life up by, by treating the living God this way. 
He said this, I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commands. You hear that? David says, you tell me to jump, I jump. You say yes, it's a yes. No, it's a no. You tell me not to do it, I won't. I'd rather die than disobey you. You say it and I hasten. That means I'm getting in a hurry. David says, I'll trip on myself. I'll take this crown off and run off of my throne to say yes to you, God. You tell me to do it, I'll do it, and I'll get in a hurry doing it to obey your commands. That's what he says. Now, here's how we're going to end today. And here's what happens at Three Circle. And I just want to talk to you for just a minute. And I totally get it because I'd be the same way. So don't, we're not that church that's like, don't you leave and all that kind of stuff. But so I think there's this idea that when we do a song in particular, when we do a song at the end of the service, everybody thinks, oh, that's our walking out music. They're just giving us some music to walk on out the door. Isn't that nice? To have the best musicians in the world, I just get to walk out, you know. And so, but that's really not what it's for. So if you will today, now if you've got to go, man, we totally understand. We've got volunteers and some of you have health issues and all that. Man, I'm asking truly, humbly, we've got a song we want you to hear today. And we want everybody to not be distracted. So they're going to sing it to you and over you and for you. Because I, I want you to hear these words. And as you listen to this song today, would you, would you answer the two questions on your paper? Is there an area of procrastination in your life? What is it? And then by, by the power of Jesus, what are you going to do about it? As you listen to these words, Jesus, at all of our campuses right now, would you just speak to us deeply in our hearts? Move the needle. I can't move the needle, not, not an inch. With anything I was able to do today, it is only the power of your word and your spirit. God, please do what I can't do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.